0: Welcome to another foray into that inimitable world of Bertie and Jeeves. This is your narrator, Jim Campanella. Over the next few weeks, Uvula Audio will be presenting The Mating Season by P.G. Wodehouse. Although this book is the sequel to Jeeves in the Morning, as with most of Wodehouse's books, it can be read all on its own and it will still make perfect sense, or at least as much sense as any of these books ever do. The Mating Season concerns Bertie, who finds himself at a place called Deverill Hall, pretending to be his old pale, Gussie Finknoddle. And, of course, Gussie shows up pretending to be Bertie. Bertie must do all he can to keep the Finknoddle-Bassett romance intact, for we know the fate that awaits Bertram otherwise. And this, complete with two other rocky romances, keeps Bertie on his toes throughout. And now, the mating season. Chapter 1 While I would not go so far, perhaps, as to describe the heart as actually leaden, I must confess that on the eve of starting to do my bit of time at Deverell Hall, I was definitely short on chirpiness. I shrank from the prospect of being decanted into a household on chummy terms with a thug like my Aunt Agatha, weakened as I already was by having had her son Thomas, one of our most prominent fiends in human shape, on my hands for three days.' I mentioned this to Jeeves, and he agreed that the set-up could have been juicier. Still, I said, taking a pop, as always, at trying to focus the silver lining. It's flattering, of course. Sir? Being the people's choice, Jeeves. Having these birds going around chanting, We want Worcester! Ah, yes, sir, precisely. Most gratifying. But half a jiffy. I'm forgetting that you haven't the foggiest what this is all about. It so often pans out that way when you begin a story. You whiz off the mark all pep and ginger, like a Middlesome charger going into its routine, and the next thing you know the customers are up on their hind legs yelling for footnotes. Let me get into reverse and put you abreast. My Aunt Agatha, the one who chews broken bottles and kills rats with her teeth, arriving suddenly in London from her rural lair with her son Thomas, had instructed me in her authoritative way to put the latter up in my flat for three days, while he visited dentists and old Vicks, and things preparatory to leaving for his school at Bramley-on-Sea, and that done to proceed to Deverell Hall, King's Deverell, hence the residence of some pals of hers, and let my services to the village concert. Apparently they wanted to stiffen up the programme with a bit of metropolitan talent, and I had been recommended by the vicar's niece. And that, of course, was that. It was no good telling her that I would prefer not to touch young Thomas with a ten-foot pole, and that I disliked taking on blind dates. When Aunt Agatha issued her orders, you filled them. But I was conscious, as I have indicated, of an uneasiness as to the shape of things to come. And it didn't make the outlook any brighter to know that Gussie Finknottle would be among those present at Deverell Hall. When you get trapped in the den of the Secret Nine... You want something a lot better than Gussie to help you keep the upper lip stiff. I mused a bit. I wish I had more data about these people, Jeeves, I said. I like on these occasions to know what I'm up against. So far, all I've gathered is that I am to be the guest of a landed proprietor called Harris, or Hacker, or possibly Hassock. Haddock, sir. Haddock, eh? Yes, sir. The gentleman who is to be your host is a mr esmond haddock it's odd but that name seems to strike a chord as if i'd heard it somewhere before mr haddock is the son of the owner of a widely advertised patent remedy known as haddock's headache hokey's sir possibly the specific is familiar to you of course i know it well not so sensationally good as those pick me ups of yours, but none the less a sound standby on the morning after. So he's one of those Haddocks, is he? Yes, sir. mister Esmond Haddock's late father married the late Miss Flora Deverill. Before they were both late, of course. The union was considered something of a mésalliance alliance by the lady's sisters. The Deverils are a very old country family, Like so many others in these days, impoverished, sir. I begin to get the scenario. Haddock, though, not as posh as he might be on the father's side, foots the weekly bills. Yes, sir. Well, no doubt he can afford to. There's gold in them there, Hokies, Jeeves. So I should be disposed to imagine, sir. A point struck me which often does strike me when chewing the fat with this honest fellow. Viz that he seemed to know a hell of a lot about it. I mentioned this and he explained that it was one of those odd chances that had enabled him to get the inside story. My Uncle Charlie holds the post of butler of the hall, sir. It is from him I derive my information. I didn't know you had an Uncle Charlie. Charlie Jeeves? No, sir. Charlie Silversmith. I let like a rather pleased cigarette things are beginning to clarify. Well, this is a bit of a goose. You'll be able to give me all the salient facts, if salient is the word I want. What sort of joint is this Deverell Hall? Nice place? Gravel soil? Spreading views? Yes, sir. Good catering? Yes, sir. And touching on the personnel, will there be a Mrs. Haddock? No, sir. The young gentleman is unmarried. He resides at the hall with his five aunts. Five? Yes, sir. The Misses Charlotte Emmeline Harriet Myrtle-Deverell and Dame Daphne Winkworth, relic of the late P.B. Winkworth, the historian. Dame Daphne's daughter, Miss Gertrude Winkworth, is, I understand, also in residence. On the Q five aunts, I had given at the knees a trifle, for the thought of being confronted with such a solid gaggle of ants, even if those of another was an unnerving one. Reminding myself that in this life it is not ants that matter, but the courage which one brings to them, I pulled myself together. I see, I said, no stint of female society. No, sir. I may find Gussie's company relief. Very possibly, sir. Such as it is. Yes, sir. I wonder, by the way, if you recall this Augustus, on whose activities I have had occasion to touch once or twice before. Throw the mind back. Goofy to the gills, face like a fish, horn-rimmed spectacles, drank orange juice, collected newts, engaged to England's premier pill, a girl called Madeline Bassett. Ah, you've got him. Fine. Tell me, Jeeves, I said, how does Gussie come to be mixed up with these bacteria? Surely a bit of an inscrutable mystery that he too should be headed for Devil's Hall. No, sir. It was Mr. Finknortle himself who informed me. You have seen him then? Yes, sir. He called while you were out. How did he seem? Low-spirited, sir. Like me, he shrinks from the prospect of visiting this ghastly shack. Yes, sir. He had supposed that Miss Bassett would be accompanying him, but she has altered her arrangements at the last moment and gone to reside at the Larches, Wimbledon Common, with an old-school friend who has recently suffered a disappointment in love. It was Miss Bassett's view that she needed cheering up. "'I was at a loss to comprehend how the society of Madeline Bassett could cheer anyone up. She being from top-knot to shoe-sole the woman whom God forgot— I didn't say so. "'I merely threw out the opinion that this must have made Gussie froth a bit.' "'Yes, sir. "'He expressed annoyance at the change of plan. "'Indeed, I gathered from his remarks, "'for he was kind enough to confide in me "'that there has resulted a certain coolness between himself and Miss Bassett.' "'Gosh!' I said. "'And I'll tell you why I goshed. "'If you remember Gussie Finknottle, You'll probably also remember the chain of circumstances which led up, if chains do lead up, to this frightful basset getting the impression firmly fixed in her wooden head that Bertram Worcester was pining away for love of her. I won't go into details now, but it was her conviction that if ever she felt like severing relations with Gussie, she had only to send out a hurry call for me, and I would come racing round.' all ready to buy the license and start ordering the wedding cake. So knowing my view regarding this Bassett M, you will readily understand why this stuff about coolnesses drew a startled gosh from me. The thought of my peril had never left me, and I wasn't going to be really easy in my mind till these two were actually sent to Isling. Only when the clergyman had definitely pronounced sentence would Bertram start to breathe freely again. Ah, well, I said, hoping for the best, just a lover's tiff, no doubt. Always happening, these lover's tiffs. Probably by this time a complete reconciliation has been effected, and the laughing love-god is sweating away at the old stand once more with the knobs on. Ha! I proceeded as the front door bell tootled. Someone waits without. If it's young Thomas, tell him I shall expect him to be in readiness, all clean and rosy, at 7.45 tonight, to accompany me to the performance of King Lear at the Old Vic, "'And it's no good him trying to do a sneak. "'His mother said he had to go to the old Vic, and he's jolly well going.' "'I think it more probable that it is Mr. Peerbright, sir.' "'Old cat's meat! What makes you think that?' "'He also called during your absence, sir, and indicated that he would return later. "'He was accompanied by his sister, Miss Peerbright.' "'Good Lord! Really? Corky! I thought she was in Hollywood!' "'I understand she has returned to England for a vacation, sir.' "'Did you give her tea?' "'Yes, sir. Master Thomas played host. Miss Pierbright took the young gentleman off subsequently to see a picture.' "'I wish I hadn't missed her. I haven't seen Corky for ages. Was she all right?' "'Yes, sir.' "'And Catmeat? meat. How was he?' "'Low-spirited, sir.' "'You're mixing him up with Gussie. It was Gussie, if you recall, who was low-spirited.' Mr. Peerbright also, sir. There seems to be a lot of low-spiritedness kicking about these days. We live in difficult times, sir. True. Well, bug him in. He oozed out and a few moments later oozed in again. Mr. Pearbright He announced. He had called his shots correctly. A glance of the young visitor was enough to tell me that he was low-spirited. Chapter Two And mind you, it isn't often that you find the object under advisement in this condition. A singularly fizzy bird as a rule. In fact, taking him by and large, I should say that of all the rollicking lads at the drones club, Claude Clattermole Peerbright is perhaps the most rollicking, both on stage and off. I say on the stage, for it is behind the footlights that he earns his weekly envelope. He comes of a prominent theatrical family. His father was the man who wrote the music of the Blue Lady and other substantial hits which I unfortunately missed owing to being in the cradle at the time. His mother was Elsie Catamole, who was a star in New York for years, and his sister Corky has been wowing the customers with her oomph and espigliere, if that's the word I want, since she was about 16. It was almost inevitable, therefore, that looking about him on coming down from Oxford for some walk in life which would ensure the three squares a day and give him time to play a bit of country cricket, he should have selected the sock and buskin. Today he is the fellow managers pick first when they have a society comedy to present and want someone for Freddy, the light-hearted friend of the hero, carrying the second love interest. If at such a show you see a willowy figure come bounding on with a tennis racket shouting, Hello, girls! shortly after the kick-off don't bother to look at the programme that'll be cat's meat on such occasions he starts off sprightly and continues sprightly till closing time and it is the same in private life there too is sprightliness a byword pongo twizzleton and barmy phipps who do each year at the drone smoker the knockabout patton mike crosstalk act of which he is author and producer have told me that when rehearsing them in their lines and business He is more like Groucho Marx than anything human. Yet now, as I say, he was low-spirited. It stuck out a mile. His brow was sicklied over with the pale cast of thought and his air that of a man who, if he had said, Hello, girls, would have said it like someone in a Russian drama announcing that Grandpa had hanged himself in the barn. I greeted him cordially and said I was sorry I had been out when he came seeking an audience before, especially as he had had corky with him. "'I should have loved to chat with Corky,' I said. "'I had no idea she was back in England. "'Now I'm afraid I missed her.' "'No, you haven't.' "'Yes, I have. "'I leave tomorrow for a place called Deverill Hall in Hampshire "'to help at the village concert. "'It seems the vicar's niece insisted on having me in the troupe, "'and what's puzzling me is how the girl of God heard of me. "'What hadn't supposed one's reputation was so far flung?' "'You silly ass. "'She's Corky.' "'Corky?' I was stunned. There are few better eggs in existence than Cora, Corky Pierbright, with whom I have been on the maidiest terms since the days when in our formative years we attended the same dancing class. But nothing in her deportment had ever given me the idea that she was related to the clergy. My Uncle Sidney is the vicar down there, and my aunts away at Bournemouth. In her absence, Corky is keeping house for him. My God, poor old Sid. She tidies his study, no doubt. "'Probably.' "'Straightens his tie.' "'I wouldn't be surprised.' "'And tells him he smokes too much. "'And every time he gets comfortably settled in an armchair, "'boosts him out of it so that she can smooth the cushions. "'He must be feeling as if he were living in the Book of Revelations. "'But doesn't she find a vicarage rather slow after Hollywood?' "'Not a bit. She loves it. "'Corky's different from me. "'I wouldn't be happy out of show business. "'But she was never really keen on it, "'though she's been such a success.' I don't think she would have gone on the stage at all if it hadn't been for mother wanting her to so much. Her dream is to marry someone who lives in the country and spend the rest of her life knee-deep in cows and dogs and things. I suppose it's the old Farmer Giles strain in the Peerbrights coming out. My grandfather was a farmer. I can just remember him. Yards of whiskers and always belly aching about the weather. Messing about in the parish and getting up village concerts is her dish. Any idea what she wants me to give the local yokels? Not the yeoman's wedding song, I trust. No, you're to do that pat-pot in that crosstalk act of mine. This came under the head of tidings of great joy. Too often at these binges, the brass hats in charge tell you off to render the yeoman's wedding song, which for some reason always arouses the worst passions of the tough eggs who stand behind the back row. But no rustic standees have ever been known not to eat a knockabout crosstalk act. There's something about the spectacle of performer A sloshing performer B over the head with an umbrella, and performer B prodding performer A in the midriff with a similar blunt instrument, that seems to speak to their depths. Wearing a green beard and given adequate assistance by my supporting cast, I could confidently anticipate that I should have the clientele rolling in the aisles. "'Fine! Right! Splendid! "'I can now face the future with an uplifted heart. "'But if she wanted someone for Pat, why didn't she get you? "'You being a seasoned professional. "'Ah, I see what must have happened. "'She offered you the role and you drew yourself up haughtily, "'feeling that you were above this amateur stuff. "'Catsmeat shook the lemon somberly.' "'It wasn't that at all. "'Nothing would have pleased me more than to have performed "'at the King's Deverell concert.' but the shot wasn't on the board. These women at the hall hate my insides. So you've met them? What are they like? A pretty stiffish nymphery, I suspect. No, I haven't met them, but I'm engaged to their niece, Gertrude Winkworth, and the idea of her marrying me gives them the pip. If I showed myself within a mile of Deverell Hall, the dogs would be set on me. Talking of dogs, Corky bought one this morning at the Battersea home. God bless her, I said. "'speaking absently, for my thoughts were concentrated on this romance of his, "'and I was trying to sort out his little ball of worsted "'from the mob of ants and what have you of whom Jeeves had spoken. "'Then I got her placed. "'Gertrude, daughter of Dame Daphne Winkworth, "'relic of the late P.B. Winkworth, the historian.' "'That's what I came to see you about.' "'Corky's dog?' "'No. This Gertrude business. I need your help. "'I'll tell you the whole story.' On Catsmeat's entry, I had provided him with a hospitable whiskey and splash, and of this he had downed up to this point perhaps a couple of sips and a gulp. He now knocked back the residuum, and it seemed to touch the spot, for when it was down the hatch he spoke with animation and fluency. I should like to start by saying, Bertie, that since the first human crawled out of the primeval slime and life began on this planet, nobody has ever loved anybody. "'as I love Gertrude Winkworth. "'I mention this because I want you to realise "'that what you're sitting in on "'is not one of those light summer flirtations, "'but the real West End stuff. "'I love her.' "'That's good. Where did you meet her?' "'At a house in Norfolk. "'They were doing some amateur theatricals "'and wrote me in to produce. "'My God, those twilight evenings in the old garden, "'with the birds singing sleepily in the shrubberies.' "'and the stars beginning to peep out in the—' "'Right-ho, carry on!' "'She's wonderful, Bertie. "'Why she loves me, I can't imagine.' "'But she does!' "'Oh, yes, she does. "'We got engaged, and she returned to Deveril Hall "'to break the news to her mother. "'And when she did, what do you think happened?' "'Well, of course, he had rather given away "'the punch of the story at the outset. "'The parent kicked!' "'She let out a yell you could have heard in Bassingstoke.' Basingstoke, being about twenty miles away as the crow flies. I know Bassingstoke. Bless my soul, I know it well. She I stayed there as a boy. An old nurse of mine used to live at Basingstoke in a semi detached villa called Balmoral. Her name was Hogg, oddly enough, Nurse Hogg. She suffered from hiccups. Catherine manner became a bit tenser. He looked like a village standee hearing the yeoman's wedding song. Listen, Bertie, he said, Suppose we don't talk about Basingstoke or about your nurse either. To hell with Bastingstoke, and to hell with your ruddy nurse, too. Where was I? We broke off at the point where Dame Daphne Winkworth was letting out a yell. That's right. Her sisters, when informed that Gertrude was proposing to marry the brother of the Miss Peerbright down at the vicarage, and that this brother was an actor by profession, also let out yells. I toyed with the idea of asking if these two could have been heard at Basingstoke, but why is a council prevailed? They don't like Corky. They don't like actors. In their young days in the reign of Queen Elizabeth, actors were looked on as rogues and vagabonds, and they can't get it into their nuts that the modern actor is a substantial citizen who makes his sixty quid a week and salts most of it away in sound government securities. Dash it! If I could think of some way of doing down the income tax people, I should be a rich man. You don't know of a way of doing down the income tax people, do you, Bertie? Sorry, no. I doubt if even Jeeves does. So you got the bird? Yes. I had a sad letter from Gertrude saying no dice. You may ask why we don't elope. I was just going to. I couldn't swing it. She fears her mother's wrath. A tough character, this mother! Oh, the toughest. She used to be the headmistress of a big girl's school. Gertrude was a member of the chain gang, and she never got over it. No, elopements seem to be out. And here's the snag, Bertie. Corky has wrangled a contract for me with her studio in Hollywood, and I may have to sail at any moment. It's a frightful situation. I was silent for a moment. I was trying to remember something I had read somewhere about something not quenching something— "'but I couldn't quite get at it. "'However, the general idea was that if a girl loves you "'and you're compelled to leave her in storage for a while, "'she will wait for you. "'So I put this point, and he said that was all very well, "'but I didn't know all. "'The plot, he assured me, was about to thicken. "'We now come,' he said, to the hellhound Haddock, "'and this is where I want you to rally round, Bertie. "'I said I didn't get the gist.' "'And he said, of course I didn't get the damned gist, "'but couldn't I wait half a second, blast me, "'and give him a chance to explain? "'And I said, oh, rather, certainly.' "'Haddock,' said Catsmith, "'speaking between clenched teeth "'and exhibiting other signs of emotion. "'Haddock the wrecker. "'Do you know anything about this grade-A louse, Bertie? "'Only that his late father was the proprietor "'of those headache-hokies.' "'And left him enough money to sink a ship.' I'm not suggesting, of course, that Gertrude would marry him for his money. She would scorn such raw work. But in addition to having more cash than you could shake a stick at, he's a sort of Greek god in appearance, and extremely magnetic, so Gertrude says. And, what is more, I gather from her letters that pressure is being brought to bear on her by the family. And you can imagine what the pressure of a mother and four aunts is like. "'I began to grasp the trend.' You mean Haddock is trying to move in? Gertrude writes that he is giving her the rush of a lifetime, and this will show you the sort of flitting and sipping butterfly the hound is. It is only a short while ago that he was giving Corky a similar rush. Ask her when you see her, but tactfully, because she's as sore as a gumboil about it. I tell you, the man is a public menace. He ought to be kept on a chain in the interests of pure womanhood. But "'We'll fix him, won't we?' "'Will we?' "'You bet we will. "'Here's what I want you to do. "'You'll agree that even a fellow like Esmond Haddock, "'who appears to be the nearest thing yet discovered to South American Joe, "'couldn't press his foul suit in front of you.' "'You mean he would need privacy?' "'Exactly. "'So the moment you are inside Deveril Hall, "'start busting up his sinister game. "'Be always at Gertrude's side. "'Stick to her like glue.' "'See that he doesn't get her alone in the Rose Garden. "'If a visit to the Rose Garden is mooted, include yourself in. "'You follow me, Bertie?' "'I follow you, yes,' I said a little dubiously. "'What you have in mind is something on the lines of Mary's lamb. "'I don't know if you happen to know the poem. "'I used to recite it as a child, but broadly the nub was that Mary had a little lamb "'with fleece as white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went the lamb was sure to go.' "'You want me to model my technique on that of Mary's lamb?' "'That's it. Be on the alert every second, for the peril is frightful. "'Well, to give you some idea, his most recent suggestion is that Gertrude and he "'shall take sandwiches one of these mornings and ride out to a place about fifteen miles away "'where there are cliffs and things. "'Do you know what he plans to do when he gets there? "'Show her the lover's leap.' "'Oh, yes?' Don't say oh yes in that casual way. Think, man. Fifteen miles there. Then the lover's leap. Then fifteen miles back. The imagination reels at the thought of what excesses a fellow like Esmond Haddock may commit on a thirty-mile ride with a lover's leap thrown in halfway. I don't know what day the expedition is planned for, but whenever it is, you must be with it from start to finish. If possible, riding between them, And for God's sake, don't take your eye off him for an instant at the lover's leap. That will be the danger spot. If you notice the slightest disposition on his part when at the lover's leap to lean towards her and whisper in her ear, break up the act like lightning. I'm relying on you, Bertie. My life's happiness depends on you. Well, of course, if a man you've been at private school, public school and Oxford with says he's relying on you, you have no option but to let yourself be relied on. "'To say the assignment was one I liked would be overstating the facts, "'but I was right hoed, and he grasped my hand and said "'that if there were more fellows like me in the world, "'it would be a better place. "'A view which differed sharply from that of my Aunt Agatha, "'and one which I had a hunch was going to differ sharply "'from that of Esmond Haddock. "'There might be those at Deverell Hall who would come to love Bertram, "'but my bet was that E. Haddock's name would not be on that roster.' "'Well, you've certainly eased my mind,' said Catsmead. "'having released the hand and then re-grabbed and re-squeezed it. "'Knowing that you're on the spot, "'working like a beaver in my interests will mean everything. "'I have been off my feed for some little time now, "'but I'm going to enjoy my dinner tonight. "'I only wish there was something I could do for you in return.' "'There is,' I said. "'A thought had struck me, "'prompted no doubt by his mention of the word dinner.' Ever since Jeeves had told me about the coolness which existed between Gussie Finknoddle and Madeline Bassett, I'd been more than a bit worried at the thought of Gussie dining by himself that night. I mean, you know how it is when you've had one of those lover's tips and then go off to a solitary dinner. You start brooding over the girl with the soup and wonder if it wasn't a mug's game hitching up with her. With the fish, this feeling deepens. And by the time you've been through the poulet, roti or croissant and are ordering coffee... "'You've probably come definitely to the conclusion "'that she's a rag and a bone and a hank of hair "'and that it would be madness to sign her on as a life-partner. "'What you need on these occasions is entertaining company "'so that your dark thoughts may be diverted, "'and it seemed to me here was the chance to provide Gussie with some.' "'There is,' I said. "'You know Gussie Finknoddle? "'He's low-spirited, and there are reasons why "'I would prefer that he isn't alone tonight brooding. "'Could you give him a spot of dinner?' Catsmeat chewed his lip. I knew what was passing in his mind. He was thinking, as others have thought, that the first essential for an enjoyable dinner party is for Gussie not to be there at all. Give Gussie Finknordle dinner. That's right. Why don't you? My Aunt Agatha wants me to take her son Thomas to the Old Vic. Give it a miss. I can't. I should never hear the end of it. Well, all right. Heaven bless you, Catsmeat, I said. So Gussie was off my mind. It was with a light heart that I retired to rest that night. I little knew, as the expression is, what the morning was to bring forth.